What's your favorite verse in the Bible? All of them. Good, good answer. Good answer, Tyler. Anyone willing to share about that? I know it's hard. I know it's a hard question to answer. I mean, there, there's so many beautiful verses in the Bible, so, much, uh, so many verses about uh, love and beauty and grace and joy and life, so many awesome verses about uh, our unspeakably glorious God and Savior. Anyone want to share? Yes, Jen. And then he says what? And, and I will ask the Father and he will give come. you another helper to be with mm. you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. Amen. I know it's, it's almost an impossible uh, question to answer. I, if you press me to the wall, um, I do have a favorite verse because I think in this verse the whole Bible resides, the origin, reason, purpose, and goal of creation and redemption resides in one verse in my mind. Uh, some of you may remember back in March uh, I asked you these questions. Why you? Why me? Why bumblebees? Why badgers? Why mountains? Why trees? Why rivers? Why oceans? Why nebulae? Why black holes? Why a 50 plus billion uh, galaxy? Why all these things? Why anything? You remember when I asked you this back in March? What's the answer? Does anybody remember, does anybody remember uh, the verse in Colossians chapter 1 that prompted me to ask you that question? Anybody? Colossians 1, verse 16. For by Him, Jesus Christ, all things were created. All things have been created by Him and for Him. It's all for Jesus Christ. It's all, someone said it over here. I don't know who it was. It's all for the glory of Christ. It's not about you, right? We know this. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him. Every single bit of it is about Him. The microscopic creature under the rock in the deepest part of the ocean is about Christ. It's about Him. Some of you may remember back in March, I also quoted John Piper. I often quote John Piper. Um, I quote him as often as I can. Uh, I love this particular quote. I, get it, I, I work it in every chance I get. So listen to this. I still remember... Fifteen years ago, lying on my bed, late, late at night, I read these words and I go, it's ah, awesome. I know God's like that. I know He's really like that. And it, it, it fundamentally enhanced my view of God. Listen to, to what Piper says. In creation, God went public. You remember when I told you this? In creation, God went public with the glory that reverberates joyfully between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So the eternal happiness of the Godhead spilled over in the work of creation. All His works are simply the overflow, I love this, the overflow of His infinite exuberance for His own excellence. I love that. How can you not get jazzed about that? How can you not get jazzed about knowing a God of infinite exuberance and eternal happiness? God has gone public with the fullness that resides in Him. Man, I want to taste infinite exuberance, don't you? I want to know what that feels like. I want to know what that tastes like. And we do in the God-man Jesus Christ. This is the temporal and eternal tra trajectory of Christians. Infinite exuberance forever. I love that. It makes my heart beat fast. Oh yeah, my favorite verse. Did I tell you? I didn't tell you. My favorite verse... <laughs> Romans eleven thirty six. For from him, 
and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases that. He says everything comes from Him. Everything happens through Him. Everything ends up in Him. Always glory. Always praise. Yes, yes, yes. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. Praise God. Amen? It's about Him. It's not about you. How sad would it be if it was about you? How boring would that be? I've got to tell you, friends, you're not that interesting. You simply cannot fill up eternity, nor can I. You know, you run, you, if you're out in the world very much, you realize you just run into a lot of bored people. They're just bored. They've come to the end of themselves. They've come to the end of their spouse. They've come to the end of their job. They've come to the end of the, the joy that money might provide. They've come to the end of it. You never come to the end of Jehovah God. You never come to the end of Jesus Christ. He fills His people up forever and forever. I'm glad it's not about me. Amen? I'm so glad. Praise God it's not about me. I would be bored out of my mind if it was about me. But it's about a beautiful and infinitely exuberant God who fills both heaven and earth Jonathan Edwards, let me just share this with you. One more heavy quote, okay, and then we'll move on. Jonathan Edwards talks about this in his, in his paper, the, the End for Which God Created the World. Listen to what he says. Since God is infinite, the finite creature cannot fathom the totality of His greatness or comprehend His infinite beauty or delight in all that He is. It will take an eternity for us to know and enjoy all that God is. That is to say... There will never be a time when there is no more beauty for the redeemed to discover and enjoy. Infinite exuberance forever, beloved. It starts now as we come to Christ and it increases. And Edwards even uses the word velocity into eternity. I don't understand it, but he uses that word. So tonight in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul says, Christ is all and in all. He is, he is all and in all. In all. Breathtaking news. Uh, that thrills the soul of every born-again believer. This God, the from Him, through Him, to Him are all things God. This God, the by Him and for Him all things were created God. This God is not only for His people, He's in His people. Amen? This is something we've talked about many times. I, I don't know, I don't understand it. I can't fathom it. But the Holy Spirit, the third member of the tr Trinity, indwells the Christian it's, it's mind-boggling. But this is the assertion of Scripture. So do you see, we've been talking about Paul being so exercised about these, these guys adding something to Jesus Christ in Colossians. He's, he's, you can see why he's so exercised about it. That this man-made, they're trying to tack on man-made religion to the Lord Jesus. In light of who Jesus is, as Paul's been telling us in Colossians, it's just sheer stupidity to try to add anything to Him. As we, if you've been listening in Colossians, if you've read it, uh, Colossians 1.16, Jesus Christ is the Creator God. Colossians 1.17, He's the Eternal God. Colossians 1.17, He's the Sustainer God. Colossians 1.20, He's the Redeemer God. Colossians 2.9-10, uh, In Him all the fullness of deity dwells, and He exercises sovereign rule and authority over all. You're going to add man-made religion to Him? Come on! That's what Paul's been saying. You've got to be kidding me. Between the lines, he's saying that. You've got to be kidding me. You're going to add something to Jesus? He's God. He's I Am. You can't add anything to Him. 
Not only is that worthless to add something to Him, it's blasphemous. And we've been talking about that. So as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we, we transitioned from chapter 2 to chapter 3 of Colossians and the Holy Spirit made that transition from doctrine to application. God always makes this transition. He always, he always says, this is the truth. And then He always says to His people, what? This is what I want you to do with the truth. This is the transition God always makes. And the Holy Spirit has made that transition. God says, if you've been raised up with Christ, if it's real with you, Set your mind and your heart on the things above. Consider yourselves dead to sin and lay aside the old self and put on the new self. Last time we were together, we didn't get a chance to look at verse 10 very much, so I'm just going to pick up there. He says, put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. I took a few minutes. I looked up this Greek word translated renewed. It means to be changed into a new kind of life. Do you know that, beloved? That's what God's done for every true believer. He's changed you into a new kind of life, a God kind of life. You once were children of wrath, and now you are uh, children of grace and mercy. You're vessels of mercy, according to the kindness and love of God. It's a new kind of, of life that God has put in us. We're begotten of God. We're born from above. We're partakers of the divine nature. This is the testimony of the Word of God. You know, most men are just bored. And how could they not be? The Lord put eternity in our hearts. If you, if you look at that, that great text in uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11, God put eternity in the heart of man and He is the only one. He is the only one that can fill up the heart of man. Only God can fill that place and that's what He's doing in His people's lives. I love the Gospel. I love... I love the words I hear people say about the gospel. I won't embarrass anyone, but I, I love the gospel. It's so beautiful. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's just an unfathomable truth. And God is, God is bringing us into His divine family. He has adopted us. We are His children. We are co-heirs. I, I, I still can't believe how anyone could be bored with Christianity. The only way you can be bored with Christianity is you haven't understood it yet nor have you believed it yet, nor, nor are you applying it yet. Because if you're really walking with Christ, I promise you, you'll be anything but bored. If you're really obeying Him and following Him, you will be anything but bored. God is giving Himself to His people. He's infusing Himself into His people's lives. Colossians 1.17, that mystery, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Verse 11 here, Paul says... Paul says, in that renewal that he mentions in verse 10, in that renewal, uh, there is no distinction between uh, Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. I love in this new life, this, this begotten of God life, there are no distinctions. It's not about your Greekness or your Italianness or your Americanness. It's not about that. It's not about your ethnicity or your religiosity. It's not about your cultural, your educational status. It's not about your social standing. Who's it about? Someone tell me. It's about Jesus. Christ is all and in all. It's about Him. And through His beauty and sufficiency and worth, He's obliterated the distinctions in His church. And this is why one reason I love ICM. I love ICM. I love worshiping uh, the Lord Jesus with people from all over 
the world. We don't have a Scythian section in the church. We don't have that. We don't have, uh, yeah, we don't have sections in the church. We're one. We all belong to the Lord. We all belong to our Father. We're brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ has obliterated, He has obliterated distinctions. This oneness was just radical in the first century. It was flat out radical. Races and classes never mixed. They never mixed. And that's what I love about ICM. And anywhere you find an expression of the true church, you will see this. There are no distinctions. We are all one in Christ. Christ is all and Christ is in all. Because He is who He is, because He said what He said, because He did what He did, because He's promised what He's promised, we're way too in love with Him to worry about our differences. Amen? We're focused on Him. We're focused on doing His Word. I don't care what color you are. I don't care if you're educated. I don't care what country you come from. I don't care what language you speak. I could care less. You are my brother. And you are my sister. And I, I, I see that expressed here at ICM. And I praise the Lord for it. How could I not love Rennell? How could I not, right? I love the way he beats the drum. How could I not love? How could Jen not love Afwa? Did I get it right? Close? Okay. How could Jen not love her, right? How could, how could Sarah not love Joy? How could she not? They're sisters. They're sisters in the Lord. We are created and redeemed and indwelt by the same God. Christ is in all. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. If we read our Bibles with only marginal comprehension skills, we understand that Jesus has called us to radical love. We're to lay our lives down for one another, 1 John. We're to lay our lives down as He laid His life down. We're to lay our lives down in love and in service. Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are mine. So you guys, you guys get the flow of Colossians, right? Paul annihilates this man-made Christ plus gospel junk. Uh, and he reminds us that we are intimately and personally saved by radical grace and radical love. And then the Holy Spirit says, I want you to live it out in the world. I want you to live it in the church. And that's what he's going to talk to us about. That's what he's going to talk to us about tonight. Let me pick up here at verse 12. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved... Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord uh, forgave you, so also uh, you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And, he says, be Thankful. This is name brand Christianity. Now, it's not, it's not the, the counterfeit junk that you encounter in many places in the world. Whether you call it Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, it's not the brain dead, heart dead junk that you run into many times. He's talking about biblical Christianity. He's talking about born again Christianity. He's talking about that uh, abandoned kind of Christianity. That's what he's talking about here. That's what God's always talking about when he's talking about his people. Did you see there? Oh, look, verse 12. You are the chosen of God. 
Paul almost never forgets <laughs> to mention that we are the chosen of God. I know most churches, so-called churches, never talk about this biblical truth uh, anymore. And may I be blunt, to ignore this truth betrays either a disturbing ignorance of the Bible or a troubling willingness to edit God. Is that blunt enough? Beloved, in His Word, God refers to us as His chosen, as His called, as His foreknown, as His elect, and as His predestined. For some reason, un unfathomable to me, this makes some people nuts. But I love it. I love it that my God's sovereign. I love it that my God is sovereign. I just do. Ephesians chapter 1, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. Beloved, I want to say to you, if uh, you're a, re a relative novice in the Scriptures, if you don't understand these truths, I want to say to you that your salvation is bigger, more beautiful, more mysterious, more astonishing, more, and more amazing than you ever imagined. If you give yourself to the study of the Word of God, you will constantly be on your face worshiping this awesome God who has redeemed you. You will always be on your face if you're really understanding the Gospels. I know most churches teach this small, but we don't. We love it. And we proclaim that we are the chosen people of God. At ICM, we, we actually believe our Bibles. We don't edit God. And when we hit those things that are large and mysterious to us, what do we do? We worship. We worship. We don't try to parse God. Hey, hey who's going to worship a God you can fully understand, right? If, if you can fully apprehend God with your two and a half pounds of gray matter, are you going to lay on your face and worship that God? I don't think so. Our God is awesome. I love what Piper says about this. He says, if you really believe the Bible, it will blow your mind. How many of your minds are blown? If your mind's not blown, I don't think you've met Him yet. Your mind will be blown. If you understand what God's saying about how He saved His people, if you understand that that's God Himself, that's I am being nailed to the tree. If your mind is not blown, you're not understanding the Bible. I love that Piper says it like that. Your mind must be blown. And again, I can hear Paul between the lines. You've got to be kidding me. You're going to add something to Him? You're going to add something to Him. We don't need, true Christians don't need man-made religion. In fact, we condemn it. We condemn it. We know where it's from, the father of lies. He says, well, you're holy and beloved. Why? Because we're, we're good little legalists and we're good mystics and we're good ascetics. Is that why we're holy and beloved? No, because we're chosen of God. Because God has set His heart upon us, Deuteronomy chapter 7. I have loved you because I have loved you, he says. Verse 12, God once again calls us to, as we talked about last time we were together, to cooperate in our sanctification. We talked a lot about this our last time we were together preaching. That uh, God is, yes, the Holy Spirit is sovereign in our sanctification. He's doing all the heavy lifting. But if you, if you read your Bible here, you realize he's calling us to cooperate. He says, this is what I want you to do with the Word of God. This is how I want you to Live. Put on God's label. We talked about it two weeks ago. Put on God's label. Dress like a son and a daughter of God. Put on what? Jesus Christ. Put Him on and wear Him that all may see His beauty and His efficiency and His worth. For real Christians, 
It's not just beautiful doctrine that we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It is a way of life. Christianity isn't our religion. It is our lifestyle. Amen? It's not our religion. It's our lifestyle. I've been in laying vocational ministry for over 25 years observing Christians and people who claim to be Christians. And this is where you really discover if they're real or not. You know, anybody can sit in a chair and nod. Anybody can do that. But this is where you find out if someone's real. You find it right here in verse 12 and 13. You find it, is, is there compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience? Uh, do, they, do they willingly forgive uh, their brother uh, as the Lord has forgiven them? Verse 14, do they put on love? This is where the rubber hits the road. This is how you'll know if you're walking with Christ or if you're just doing something religious. Beloved, I tell you this all the time. You're supposed to smell like God. That's supposed to be the fragrance and the aroma of your life. And there's no need for me to explain these attributes that are here in verse 12. You know what, you know what it means to be compassionate. You know what it means to, to, to be humble and to have patience and, and, to, and, to have, and, to, and to exercise forgiveness. You understand that. I don't need to explain this to you. But one thing I want to comment on here in uh, verse 13. God says, bear with one another. I love that. Bear with one another. Literally means to endure with one another. Whether you're uh, receiving the, 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 the hot end of, of uh, persecution or injury or, or threats or insults or complaints or lies or defamation, God says endure. God says bear with one another. Bear with your brother. Bear with your sister. I love that the Lord exhorts us in that way. You remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? He says, you're taking each other to secular court? You've got to be kidding me. He says, this is a shame. This is a shame to you. Why not rather be defrauded or wronged before you go before a secular court? God says, I mean for my people to always love and always endure. Always love and always endure. Always love and always endure. Now you tell me, always and always that's what you're called to be and do as God's people. How many times, Jim? You know how many times. How many times? How many times do you forgive your brother? Seven times 70, which is a metaphor for always. You bear with your brother. This is the, the uh, explicit call of the Word of God. I love what Paul told the Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than yourself. Verse 13, bear with one another, forgiving one another as Jesus Christ forgave you. Verse 14, and beyond all these things, put on love. I'll be honest with you, and I'm sure you could give testimony, some of you, to this effect. I've known men and women whose doctrine was just beautifully orthodox. It was pristine. It was perfect. But... They were betrayed when the hard spot came and they could not forgive or love their brother. And that their, their profession was, so, was shown to be false. Because they would not forgive and they would not love and they would not endure and they would not bear with their brother or with their sister. Brothers, if you encounter somebody who cannot or will not forgive they don't know anything about Jesus. So just know, if you encounter someone like that, even if they say they're a Christian, most likely they are not 
This is an oxymoron. A Christian who does not forgive. It's just, it's just an oxymoron. It's a contradiction in terms. If there would ever be a child of God redeemed by Christ that does not exercise radical and open-handed forgiveness. Look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ, the mind of Christ, rule in your heart. The Greek word rule here means umpire. I like that. Let Christ officiate. When it gets hard, let Christ officiate it. Let Him be the umpire. Let Him make the call in your life. Let the mind of Christ make the call in your life. Don't fly off, on the, uh, uh, don't fly off the handle. Let Christ umpire, umpire this in your life. Christ is all and in all. Let me ask you, brethren, do you have the mind of Christ? Have you put on Christ in your home with your spouse, with your children, at work, in school, in the church, out in the neighborhood? Are you wearing Christ? Are you wearing His label? Look what he says, verse 15. He says, be thankful be thankful. It's another oxymoron. An unthankful Christian. It's just impossible. Impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. Wow. That's good. It's impossible. We understand from Romans chapter 1 that unregenerate man is condemned for his thanklessness. But how could a, a, a born again child of God be thankless? After all that Jesus has done for us, it's Listen, beloved, I want to say this to you. I know you know this, but I just want you to, to, I want to make sure you hear this. If we've really met Christ, we understand that we are the most blessed being in the cosmos. We understand that. If we've really met Him. And listen to this. I want, I want you to hear this. Some of you already know this is true personally. Some of you haven't experienced it yet. If God in His perfect omniscient providence takes every single thing away from you, every, if He takes every blessing from you, every last one, you are still blessed. Beloved, the modern church seems to love His blessings more than they love Him. And I want to say to you that if He takes everything, your money, your possessions, your career, your marriage, your children, your health, your mind, you are blessed! You are blessed because you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. I love how Paul says it. These momentary light afflictions can't touch the blessedness we possess in Christ. I am His and He is mine. Amen? I am His and He is mine. Nothing can change that. As the Gospel of John tells us over and over and over again, even in the storms of life, the believer can and does give thanks because our Father holds the storm. And Romans 8.28 is always true. Anybody believe that? It's always true. Romans 8, 28, verse 16 and 17. Let's finish up. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God and the Father. Yeah, it's who we are at ICM. We're all about the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. We don't preach sermonettes. I know some of you have heard me say this before. We don't preach sermonettes. Sermonettes make Christianettes. They're no good for anything. 
We need to be grounded in the Word. We need to be bold in the Word. We need to be filled up with the Word. We need to, be out, we need to take the Word out there. So we need to be exhorted. I, I got admonished this week for yelling. I said, Jim, you yell too much. But I think most of you who have been here for a while, you know I yell it's because that's how God's Word affects me. I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling about Him. And uh, do, do you understand that? Okay, that's good. All right. Okay. I was admonished this week. Um, but we preach a God, this uncontainable God, this untamable God, this unmanageable God of, of Scripture. And we love Him, this unapproachably holy God. We love that He is who He is and that He's done what He's done. The Holy Spirit says God's Word is to dwell in you and you are to dwell in the Word. And we've talked about this so many times. In God's Word, when we abide in His Word, we become free. God's Word makes us free. We're free to live a life of glad, reckless, joy, obedience, Samuele. I got rebuked about that this week too. I haven't been using that enough in my sermons. Glad, reckless, joy, obedience. So there it is. Glad, reckless, joy, obedience. It's a call to freedom. This, this verse 16, it's a call to live a large life that glorifies God. He says, look what he says to do with the Word. Look at verse 16. We're to exhort and caution one another with it. That's loving the brethren with it. And we're to inform our worship with it. We're to love God with a biblically informed mind and heart. Reminds me what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10.31. He says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Christ has called us to wear His label, to put on Christ. I'll close with a story here. There was a, a story written back in the early 20th century. It's called The Passing of the Third Floor Back. Uh, the setting of the story is in a, a, a run-down, low-class boarding house in England. It contained a mixed bag of selfish and unhappy and, and complaining people. And there was this poor, uneducated, uh, ignored, abused servant girl there. No one gave her the time of day. No one showed any kindness to her. In fact, she was taken greatly advantage of. One day, a, a new tenant arrived and he rented the back room uh, on the third floor of the boarding house. And he showed this girl kindness and love and compassion. And he did that to everybody in the house. And the whole demeanor of the house changed. And this little girl adored him. She, she just adored him. And finally the day came that this stranger was to leave. And as he was walking out the door with his back, uh, the little servant girl said, Please, sir, are you him? Please, sir, are you him? Of course, he wasn't the Christ, but he had put on the Christ. And where he went, light was. And lives were changed because the Spirit of God was working through this man. He had put on Christ. And this little girl felt love for the first time in her life. She thought she'd encountered Jesus Himself. Beloved, that's you. That's your call. People are supposed to encounter Jesus through you. He smelled like God. I've said this to you so many times. The world is supposed to catch a whiff. They're supposed to catch the scent of Jesus Christ coming off you. That's your fragrance. That's your aroma. Let me close with 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 
and 15. Thanks be to God who manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one an aroma of death to death. To the other an aroma from life to life. This is the Word of God. Amen. As most of you have noticed, I presume we're going to partake uh, from the table tonight. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table and share communion. We have uh, open communion here. Anyone who has professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and has followed Him in believer's baptism is welcome to partake. Uh, I encourage you, as Paul encouraged the Corinthians, don't come to the table in an unworthy manner. Don't come to the table with unrepented sin. Don't come to the table in some legalistic, ritualistic manner. Come with all humility, remembering what your great God has done for you, the salvation He's bought for you, and remembering what He said to you tonight. Put on Christ. Put on Christ. So don't come in an unworthy manner. Uh, Tyler will sing or someone will sing. Uh, prepare your hearts as the music plays. And when you're ready, come up and uh, take, the, the, take the juice, take the, the bread, go back to your seat and wait. And after the music, I'll stand and read a text and then we will partake of the elements.